0: Well, good morning. Um, it's been a while since I've had the pleasure and opportunity to um, share with you uh, on a Sunday morning. I, I don't. It's not that I don't want to, it's just oftentimes that uh, my schedule kind of precludes, you know, really spending the time and the, and the energy that's needed to really, you know, get in the focus for, for a Sunday morning, but uh, as many of you know, um, you know, our family's gone through a, you know, a really uh, difficult time. Uh, you know, my son-in-law passed away from uh, cancer on Christmas Day. And uh, I just want to say I just really appreciate the support from this body. Absolutely amazing. It really was. Um, you know, it's during difficult, uh, difficult times that, you know, it's said that, you know, a, a trials and, and, and tribulations don't make a man, but they reveal a man. Right? We've all heard that. And um, Sarah, can you put up the first scripture? And I think this um, Luke uh, scripture is really important for us to hear this morning, because it says it says, out of the the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from what which fills his heart." You know, even if it's not necessarily evil, you know, you you kind of, you know, when you're going through things, um, what, what's the, what you believe will come forth out of your heart. It's not just what's necessarily good or evil, just what you believe. Because out of the, what, what's in the heart, the mouth will speak, right? And I just... Um, I just felt that there's a number of things during this time, during this real deep time of just spending quality time in the Lord between, I guess I would say, Thanksgiving up until Christmas, even before that. Maybe it was even October. Uh, when we found out, Josh was diagnosed on October 8th. And, um, and it was already, you know, at that point, stage four, and it was all over his whole body. It was in his bones. The cancer was in his lungs. It was in his lymph nodes. It was... It was every, or systemic. And so, you know, our family, I mean, at times we, we drew together. And it's, you know, it, and you really kind of, you know, you press into the things of God. And I was supposed to go on several business trips. I was supposed to go to to uh, to Japan. I was supposed to go out to Denver on prolonged trips. And I, you know, postponed all these. And I took the opportunity that instead of going on these trips to just Go up and be with my family. Go up and be with Rena and Josh. And I just spent hours and hours in the Lord, just ten, sometimes twelve hours a day, just seeking the heart of God. And it was something that was just you know the because I just wanted to learn and understand. You know, um, you know many many of us obviously we've faced cancer in this body. You know everything from you know Tammy St. Clair and then Brandon and. And I just found out, we just found out, in fact, this week, my sister-in-law's got breast cancer. You know, and it just, it goes on. And uh, we, I just, we need, I needed to learn. I needed to find out what, what God was saying and speaking during this time. Um, and there's it, it a number of things that was birthed out of this. In fact, I've got, there were six things the Lord showed me. I mean, it really taught me. And I actually prepared three different messages this morning because I didn't know which one the Lord actually wanted me to share. And, you know, I, he's been speaking to me. But there's, there's many things that we, I feel like about learning, about growing and understanding. And I, I want to bring up a couple scriptures here. First in, in Colossians 2, uh, there's a couple scriptures that are so important to us. Um, <laughs> In Colossians 2, 2 and 3, it says that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And see, we can look to the world for wisdom and knowledge. I just decided, no, I'm going to look to Jesus. He's everything. In Colossians three ten. I want to point out something really important here too. It says, "And have put on the new self, who's being renewed in a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him." You know, in both of these scriptures, there's something. There's a phrase here that I've highlighted on the first one: "True knowledge." True knowledge. And I was contemplating that, and if there's a true knowledge in Christ, that means there's got to be a false knowledge too. You know, there's a lot of things that we glean and we we get from this world that we consider as true knowledge, and it's not. Because it doesn't fit this. You know, And when we start believing that, what does that lead to? Stripes? Because we start believing what is false. What is false is a lie. And we start believing that stuff. And I realize that there's many things. And I know many of us have been delivered from a lot of strongholds. I mean, continually, I feel like we're being delivered. I am. From things that I, wrong thinking. And during this whole process, this two-month intense time I had with God, Oh, the Lord was delivering me from all kinds of stuff. You know, there's a false knowledge, but you know, there's also a there's a knowledge that's, that's of this world that I would say not necessarily, well, it's good. We take advantage of it, just understanding how to do things and know things. I mean, how many of us would like to live right now without our cell phones? Probably not too many, right? Um... We we don't want to go back to the day before cell phones. But, you know, there's a knowledge there that people know how to build cell phones, right? We take advantage of those things in this world. So I don't want to say that everything in this world, all the knowledge is is bad. But there is things that aren't true of this world. (laughs) And so, um, and we need to understand that. And the thing that we have to, I think mostly the Lord spoke to me about is uh, related to that, is that, we got to make sure that we don't uh, look at knowledge as wisdom. Because a lot of times, people that have knowledge, we assume, well, they're wise too. We can assume, for example, that a doctor has, has knowledge about a particular well, cancer. And we'll then assume that because they have knowledge that they're also wise. And I'll tell you, we've had some cancer doctors that don't, ha- don't show a lot of wisdom. They, are, you know, they have a lot of knowledge, but they don't show a lot of wisdom. In fact, the Lord spoke very strongly about this, about the wisdom of this world, and so did uh, the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 1, 19 to 24, we should read it here, it says, I will destroy, it says, the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Excuse me? My wife would get on me if I was sitting here sniffling, so. It says, it "says uh, Where the, where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of, of God, the world through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of this message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. Greeks are like the people I work with. I work with Greeks. Okay? Um, But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And look at this in 1 Corinthians 3:19. For the wisdom of this world is what? Foolishness before God. You know, I looked up that Greek, the meaning of that. It literally means silly or stupid. So God sees the wisdom of this world as silly or stupid. Because what happens, I think, when we we get knowledge, knowledge puffs up, right? But love builds up. We think that we become wise. You know, I think I work with a bunch of academics, and um, they they think they're very wise. Not just that they know something, but they think they're wise. And we have to be very careful not to translate the, the knowledge... The good knowledge and think that that translates to godly wisdom. It doesn't. And in fact, in, um, in James, it actually talks about there's a, um, he correlates like selfish ambition and things like that is actually demonic. That's the, demo- the wisdom is actually demonic. Now, where am I going with all this? Well, clearly there was something I, what we needed, to, I needed to learn. I mean, I wanted to know about this whole idea of healing, um, you know, God was bringing just such great revelation to me. And I was, there's, like, like I said, there's three different messages that I could have preached today or that God was putting in my heart. But I, I really felt that, um, that I really desired to know more about healing. Since the things that we've been going through in our body, uh, the things that we've been going through personally as in our family, I, I just wanted more revelation. You know, uh, I wanted the true knowledge of God. The true knowledge of God. I didn't want to know from the things of this world, from my own personal experiences, and from the setbacks I've seen. I want to hear from the Lord. And I just really, um, and I just set out to to understand and to know. And so I I read books on healing. I read, I listened to tapes. I read, I just focused on the scriptures, meditated on the things of God. And, you know, there's a number of things that, you know, we can ask. There's a number of things that uh, that we say with regard to, you know, again, like I said, the things that we think or that are true, those things come out of our heart, right? And, you know, how many of us have before have ever begged God for healing? You know, have we ever begged for God for healing? How many of us have believed that God... I don't. I know that Dwelling Place doesn't teach this, but we've probably heard it even from other believers that, that God uses or allows sickness in our lives to teach us something. <sighs> How many of us have been taught or told that when someone dies at a young age or prematurely that it was somehow God's will? Or this is a big one. Well, God just didn't heal that person. Or I haven't gotten healed yet the Lord hasn't healed me or the Lord hasn't healed you yet. You know, those are all wrong thinking. Every one of those things are thoughts or prayers that are completely contrary to the Word of God. And that's what I want to talk about today. I think the first thing we need to realize, and again, I don't want, I'm not putting condemnation if we've been there, but the whole, the whole start of understanding is to get understanding. Right? The whole way we change our thinking is to get understanding. So, first thing I wanted to do is actually show that healing is actually part of the atonement. And I know that many of us know that, and we, we, uh, at Dwelling Place, we, we do teach this, but I want to make sure that we all understand this, that salvation, being born again, is just one part of the atonement. And it comes down, if we look at the, in the, the Greek word sozo, there's a Greek word that is used hundreds of times in the New Testament. And it has the meaning to be, to be saved or born again. And look, there's three scriptures here, John 3.17. For God did not send His, the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved, sozo, through him. John 5.34, but the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things that you might be saved. Jesus again, speaking about you know, being born again. And I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and I will go into him, and he will find, find pasture. Again, that word is sozo, to be saved. But also, sozo has another meaning. Let's move on. Sarah. It also means to be healed or made well. In Acts fourteen nine through ten, it says this man was listening to Paul as he spoke, and when he had fixed his eyes and gazed on him, he said that uh, that he saw that he had faith to be what made well. Sozo, and he said with a loud voice, "Stand up on your feet!" And he leaped, leaped up and began to walk. In Mark six fifty six, we're going to come back to this passage quite a bit today. It says, wherever he entered the villages or cities, the countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his coat, and as many of him as touched it were being cured. That word cure is the Greek word sozo. And in James 5.15, And the prayer offered in faith will restore sozo, the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Powerful scriptures there, and I should also point out. And in First Peter two twenty four, sir, if you want to go on to the next one, um, oh yeah, it also means to deliver. I forgot this one. All it also there's a third part of the atonement is about deliverance, and it says those who can you go back? Yeah, and those who had been reported to them how the man who had been was demon possessed had been made well. Deliverance is also part of the atonement. But let's go on, I want to look, there's two more scriptures I want to come up to that are really vital to to understanding this aspect of the atonement. Uh, 1 Peter 2.24, it's up there. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. I know we've heard and seen this scripture before, but you notice that's past tense, in other words, it was done. It was done at his crucifixion. It was finished. Matthew 8:17 says, "This was to fulfill what was spoken through the Isaiah the prophet. He himself took past tense our infirmities and carried away our diseases. I don't think we fully grasp how powerful and a, an idea. This really is a concept, a, a truth, a reality, a promise that God has provided for us. It's, it's not just the atonement, but we it should alter the way we understand healing. And I will hopefully will we'll get to this. You know, we don't say to someone, you know, when they're getting for being born again, well, Jesus has to die for your sins. Do we ever say that? What? He's already died for our sins. He died 2,000 years ago for the sins of what? The entire world, for all mankind. Now, do all mankind take advantage of that? No. Is that Jesus' fault? Do we, do we go on to say that, well, Jesus didn't save them? We never say Jesus didn't save that person. We say that that person refused to what? Get saved. You know, and the thing is, that's the atonement. It's the same way with regard to healing. We don't have to ask God to heal us because the price has already been paid for. Now, that's a big concept. That's a strong concept, isn't it? That's a strong idea. So we don't say that God didn't save that person. And we don't have to um, wait for God to accomplish that, to wait for God to say, God, I I want you to heal me. In fact, our faith actually doesn't move God. I want to get into faith quite a bit. I'm going to say some big statements here, and I'm hopefully I'm going to back them up, because I might be shaking some boats here. Our faith does not move God. Our faith does not motivate God to action. You know, and this is where I, I know, where the Lord showed me where I was really wrong. I was like the Indiana Jones in the last crusade, you know, when, when Harrison Ford was out there on that ledge, she would look, trying to get across where the, you know, the... the, the cup of the Lord was and he had he just saw this and he just went you know he took a step of faith, right? Remember that? I kind of felt the same way, you know, when I was when we're praying for Josh. Oh Lord, if I just had more faith, if I just had, you know, if I could build up enough faith, I could we could see a miracle happen here. And I think we've all been through that that stage, that that place, right? And the Lord just showed me that's just completely not good wrong. That's completely wrong thinking. That's completely not what it's about at all. In fact, I mean, Mitch t- uh, shared this a couple months ago. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Now, Jesus wasn't condemning them for their small faith. He was saying just how little of faith you need to accomplish, to say that this mulberry tree be, thrown up, uh, be picked up and thrown into the sea. It only takes a mustard seed. And we have all been given a measure of faith that's greater than a mustard seed. It isn't about more, prayer, more faith. In fact, I really love this definition of faith. I'm going to use this, and I want to show, us, show you a scripture here that's so powerful. Andrew Womack's definition of faith is this. He says, Faith is our positive response to what God has already provided by grace. Faith is our positive response or appropriation to what God has has already provided by faith. See, we God is all asking us; He's our championing us to say, "Release it. Just release it. That's just it. He's already provided salvation, right? We don't have to get it for our sins. In the same way, the reality that come into play in our lives, creating what He already gave. He already gave. Healing. It's already been paid. Our healing's been paid for. We have to see it released. Let's look at this scripture. I think it's Mark 525 uh, 25 to 34. This is such a, a, an important for physicians to bring healing, right? had grown worse. Uh, we have saw this too. It dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healing her affliction. I mean, from him, he said, who touched my garments? Said, you see the crowd pressing against you? What do you mean? There's all kinds of people touching against you, right? And he looked around to see who the... And the woman, fearing and trembling, came, of course, and said, came down at his feet and told him the whole truth. What was his response? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace of your affliction. There's two powerful things here. You know, if it's, we always think, well, if God will heal. I just said that God has already done it. He just didn't even know. I mean, Jesus, we're going to get to that story, too. So it's not like Jesus paying attention to go, oh, if unless God's here, we're trying to get God's attention. Lord, look, don't you see? I need... ...is operating in us. And you go, right. Well, that's just it. We don't believe it. Mm-hmm. We don't understand it. If we understood it, we would, we would begin to see the things, the things happening. You know, there, there's some great analogies here with regard to this whole healing thing. Um, you know, when, about, if we think of uh, the power company, let's, let, let's use the power company as, as, as God. All right? And with this building, obviously, there's power that comes to this building. Now, we don't, when Tulio comes in in the morning, if he's the first one here, he turns on the light switch. He doesn't have to ask God to deliver power to the building. All he has to do is what? Flip the switch. It's the same way with the Lord. The power is already in here. God's saying, you have to flip the switch. It still takes, you know, faith to turn the, to turn the switch on. Same way, if I were to tell Tulio, I, look, Tulio, I'm, I'm going to deposit a million dollars in your checking account. woo ha- Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> And Okay, so I, there's a million dollars in Tulio's account. Now, does he have a million dollars? Absolutely. You could look at it. The bank would verify, yes, he has a million dollars. But unless Tulio believes that he can actually write the check, that it's not going to do any good, is it? That million dollars is just going to sit there. It's not going to do anybody any good. He has to write the check. It's the same way in our lives with healing. we got to appropriate it. Let's look at this next scripture in Acts. And this is what I'm talking about. In Acts chapter 3, a man who has been lame from his mother's womb was being carried, and that's a big statement too, right? Um, That he was born that way. Um, whom was used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which was beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. But what I do have, what I do possess, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood up upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter had a revelation of this. Peter flipped the switch. He knew. You know, Jesus told us to go out and heal the sick. He told us to go out and open the blind eyes, open deaf ears. He told us to go raise the dead. He didn't say, I'm going to go do it before you. He told us. Peter knew the power of God that was operating in him. And he functioned in that power. You know, can we do anything apart from God? Absolutely not. But the power of God resides in us, so we can raise the dead. We can heal the sick. The same power that Peter had here, we have in us. And I'm speaking this so that we can get a revelation and understand this. And you might say, well, you know what? Then, you know, what the heck? You know, if this is true then, you know, why am I not seeing, why are we not seeing people healed on a regular basis or as often as we want to? Now, I'll tell you, there's people being healed all over the world all the time. There's people being raised from the dead all the time. The thing is that God operates out of his law, out of his spiritual laws. And we need to understand how we should pray and like I said, there's a way, like begging God, it's just not going to do anything. You know, we ask God, like I said, we ask God, the oh, Lord, heal this person. And Jesus said, you know, you're supposed to heal this person. If I give Tulio my Bible, and then Tulio asked me for my Bible, how am I supposed to respond to that? He already has my Bible. It's the same way with Healing. We ask God for healing, and Jesus says, it's in you. It's already in you. We already have it. So then how should we pray? Let's look at the scripture in Mark. This is really important. Mark 11. It says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, and if anyone has any, any, against anyone, uh, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. There's a number of very important spiritual truths in this passage of Scripture. First of all, how to pray. We're supposed to pray to our mountain. So when, you know, someone is sick, you speak to the sickness. That's why we interview people. What's hurting? What's wrong? So that we can have an understanding of how to pray. So when we pray, you know, we say to that cancer, we say, be gone in Jesus' name. Be cast out in Jesus' name. That's what he's saying here. You speak to the mountain. You speak to the obstacle. You speak to the sickness. Be taken up and cast out. That's how we are to pray. And he says, there's a really important thing here. He says, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them when you pray. In other words, when you pray, you, we need to believe. But what happens because, I mean, I do this. I did this quite a bit because, you know, when a person has cancer, they don't look very good. You, just, you see things with your natural eyes. You perceive things. And when you pray and you don't see with your natural eyes, what's your conclusion? Oh, my prayer didn't work. And then what happens is doubt sets in. And it says right here, But he says, pray and believe. um, and, And do not doubt in your heart. You can't doubt in your heart. But what happens is we look with our natural eyes and we perceive and we go, oh. But he's saying you have to believe when you pray. In other words, instead of looking at the symptoms, Jesus is saying, look at the truth of my word. We need to believe that even though in the spirit, that the healing has been accomplished. It might be, you know, days before we see the physical reality of healing. We just have to know that we know that what God says is true is is going to take place. And I know that I wasn't there. I'll admit that, you know, there was doubt. You know, James 1, 6, and 7 says, But he must ask in faith without any doubting. Not some doubting, not all doubting, not, you know, 50-50 doubting. But the one who doubts, any doubting, he's saying. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And again, I felt that way. I felt like when I looked at Josh's symptoms, I felt tossed. You know, I just felt like I was just tossed right back into a sea of doubt. And he says, "What does verse seven say? That man ought not to expect to receive anything from the Lord." Oh. You know, and I don't. I'm not taking that as condemnation. I'm I, I'm taking this as, Lord, I need to I need to get into your Word. Your Word is what's true. Your Word is what brings life. And you know. We have, there's a couple things. Again, when we pray, speak to the mountain. Secondly, don't look at the symptoms. Don't look at what our natural eyes are telling you. We have to believe the promise. We have to believe in the atonement. You know, we, it, it, you know the biggest miracle in life is being born again. Do we, have, we ever doubt that when a person is, you know, say, you, if you believe in your, in Romans 10, you know, uh, 9 and 10, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved? Absolutely not. We think that's, that's amazing. That's fantastic. And if a person says that, we don't, boom, their spirit's renewed just like that. The greatest miracle there is. We don't have any doubts. We don't have any you know qualms about that. But when it comes to healing, it's like this huge stumbling block for us. You know, it's just, why? It, it It's not supposed to be that way, but the first thing is that we need to understand that healing really is part of the atonement. We got to get there. We need to get and understand that to get over this hump, and then we got to not look at the we got to not look at the uh, the symptoms because the natural eyes deceive us. You know, if I told my kids, you know, especially when they're younger. Actually, my my son is heading down to Florida as we speak, go to Disney World. Um, and if I told the kids, we're, you know, next weekend we're going to all take off and go to Disney World. Woo-hoo! Right? It's like, just what it get, which happens when you win the Super Bowl. You get to go to Disney World. Actually, Ryan thought that the only, only, you had to win the Super Bowl to go to Disney World. But, uh, um, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, what would they do? What would my kids be, what would they do? They would be so excited. What would they do? They'd be telling all their friends, "I am going to Disney World." Would they doubt it all? They would not doubt one, but they would be telling their friends, "Man, I am going. It's a done deal because Dad said it." And yet, when it comes to healing, do we get real excited when we pray and go, it's a done deal, that's it, let's go. It's, it's finished. Do we And go tell everybody, I'm healed. So-and-so's healed. Oh, we don't. Why not? Doubt and unbelief. It's really, it's doubt and unbelief. I don't, know how, I don't know how else to say it any, any different. It's awfully quiet in here. <laughs> it's awfully quiet in here. You know, the thing is we need to overcome. Faith has to overcome doubt and unbelief. We have to get to that place. Uh, <laughs> you know, and the thing is, how do we do that? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, to overcome unbelief, we have to bring people. That's why we have each other, first of all. Because I don't—if I might have faith for something, but I don't have maybe faith for all things—and we need to get people around us that that can believe. You know, we create an atmosphere, and I really believe. And you, you know, I'll try to—I'll try to show this. It, it, faith is like faith and unbelief are like a teeter-totter. If you have enough faith in an environment in which you're praying, in in other words, the faith is heavier. The balance will be tilted such that faith wins out. If unbelief is, is there, it's unbelief's in the room, and unbelief is heavier, it's going to win out in, the, in that environment, and we're not going to see the results. And you might think, golly, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. How many think that's the craziest thing you've ever heard? All right, let me show you in, in Scripture, Mark 5, 33 to 42. I think this is really important. It says, it says, but the woman here, fearing and, and trembling, well, that's, we can skip down to that because that's really the end of the previous scripture we read. And because Jesus, when that, that woman actually got healed of that hemorrhage, was on his way to go uh, heal the synagogue leader's uh, daughter. And he says, while uh, he was still speaking, in other words, talking to the, that this woman that said, you know, your faith has made you well, uh, came to the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw the commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? This child has not died, but is asleep. And that, what happened? Doubt. Look at this. They began laughing at him. I mean, this is Jesus. I mean, I can see them laughing at me, but Jesus? They began laughing at him and putting them all out. He put them out. And he took along only the child's father and mother and his own companions, three of his own companions, right? James, Peter, and John. And entered the room where the child was. Now, why? Why? Why did Jesus put them out? Because of their unbelief. He didn't want that unbelief in the room to inhibit what he he knew he wanted to do. So he took the child by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk. And She was 12 years old. And immediately... And immediately, they were completely astounded. Okay, so he had to put unbelief out so that faith could operate in that environment. If you think that's crazy, let's look at this scripture. Mark 8, 22 to 25. And they came to Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida it was, a, was, a, was a city of real unbelief. If you recall, there was this another scripture that Jesus spoke. He says, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles had been performed in Sidon and Tyre that were performed in, uh, in you, they would, uh, they would have repented long ago. So there was a, a, a lot of unbelief in this, in this city, okay? And so they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him, <laughs> okay? And... Uh, and taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he says, well, I see men like walking like trees. And again, he laid his hands on him and, he, and intently, uh, and, and looking intently and was healed. Um, and he could see everything clearly. See, the thing is here, he had to bring him out of that unbelieving environment for him to even be healed. And this man himself was so ingrained with that unbelief that even Jesus was two tries to get him completely restored. There was so much unbelief. He had to bring him out of there in order for him to be healed. And finally, Jesus himself, you know, was of course born and raised where? In Nazareth, Right? And is not the, this the carpenter, Mark 6, 3 to 6, is this not the, the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters with us here? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. And it, look at the verse 5. It says, he could do no miracle there except that he laid hands on a few sick of people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. He couldn't, I mean, Jesus himself couldn't do miracles there. So our environment is indeed, you know, dictates whether we're going to see healing or not. You know, we actually need to imagine ourselves, you know, healed. You know, it's, we can sit and, and, and focus on our sickness, but we need to see ourselves. We have to first picture ourselves well before we're going to see ourselves healed. We have to imagine. You know, we think that imagination is bad. It's not. There's a, there's, yeah, there's vain imaginations that we need to get rid of, but our imaginations are powerful and strong. So, I mean, as a man thinks within himself, what? So he is. If we start thinking ourselves as healed, we're going to get healed. You know, we, we need to understand that, and the things we speak and how we speak are critical. I mean, Proverbs 18:21 says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. If we continually say, "Yeah, I'm sick," or you know what, or I, "I'm really, really ill," or "I'm going to die," I mean, all these kind of things, if we speak them, there's power in those words, and they're reflecting something that's going on inside of us, too. They're reflecting a belief within us. I don't know if this is convicting you or not, but it's convicting me right now. You know, um, gosh, it's only 10 o'clock. I could actually go on to the second message, but I won't. I won't do that. I won't. I'll, I'll spare you. You know there's one more really big scripture that I, I really want to I want to talk about, and it's about looking to where do we get our resources from and in Matthew fourteen, uh, Sarah, can you go up there? I know it's kind of small I, I just want to get it all in on one page. I think you can read that though, right? I mean, yeah that's good. There's something really important in this story that the Lord showed me that I would really like to to bring out. So let's read this together. It says, Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them. And he, he, what? He healed their sick. That's what he does. You know, every time... Anybody came to him, it's always done. 100% all the time. Because that's who he was. He was Jehovah Rapha. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, um, do not, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Whew. You know, Jesus was testing them here. He was testing them. He wanted, that. you know, those guys had been with Jesus for some time, and he wanted to know if they had learned something from him. You know, they saw that he was bringing, they saw that he healed the sick, raised the dead. They, They were with him. They knew. And, Boy, did they miss this one. Because you give them something to eat. And what was their thought? What was their first reaction? They said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish. We have only five loaves and two fish. And in another, in a similar, uh, you know, the similar story written by one of the other um, Gospels, it says, um, how does it say, we have five loaves, only five loaves and two fish. What is that among so many? What is that among so many? And Jesus said, you know, bring them here to me. And ordering the people to sit down in the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. They were filled. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces and they filled 12 baskets you know god's asking us today where do we get our resources you know where do we look for our resources when we get a headache is our first inclination to go get the tylenol When we're sick is the first inclination to find a doctor or to get medicine. Now listen, I am not, I I I want you to hear this wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, that doctors aren't good and that we we don't appreciate the medical, you know, miracles. In fact, my son-in-law was probably given two extra months because, you know, he had had renal failure. He would have died probably within a, a day if it hadn't, you know. But again... The question still lies with us, and we're all growing in this. But we need to start looking to the resources of heaven. In fact, the the bottom line is, the resources of this world will never be sufficient. That is the story. The resources will always fall short in this world. And God's saying, there's a greater resource. There's a much greater resource that is not only fills, but exceeds the expectation. There were 12 baskets left. We gotta get to the point where we're looking upward. You know, Colossians says, fix your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. You know, we have to get to that place. You know, and that's the thing that God's been speaking to my heart about this is that. You know, it, 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 there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And I know that Ingrid and I were, had a debate about this a couple days ago. Because we can, you know, and the thing is, we blame God for everything. You know, Lord, why didn't you heal him? You know, that, I hope today we learn that that is not the right response. That is not the right answer or the right comment. Jesus has already accomplished it. It's already been done. It's like saying, "Lord, why didn't you save that person?" We it's, we take it's it's up to us to get saved, right? I mean, it's 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 operating. Well, actually, actually, it's both because it's in in Ephesians two eight it says, "You have been saved by grace through faith." Faith and grace must operate together. It's obviously it takes God's grace. There's no question about that. But it doesn't accomplish it if we don't op, if we don't have faith also they work together and we must we must get to a place where we're operating in faith and believing that it's not God that we we have to turn the switch on we have to appropriate what God has already given in the atonement he's given us deliverance he's given us the ability to be born again grace through faith He's given us healing, grace through faith. It's been done. Let's, let's start walking and believing in these things. You know, I'm going to finish with this. And I know it's, even, it's only 10 o'clock. Hey, we're good. Um, you know, these bodies, I want to speak something about these bodies, <laughs> these bodies that are wasting away here do you know that we have the same body that god gave adam and eve the same physical bodies the same bodies you know that you know when you think about that that is really a remarkable thing why because when god created adam and eve did he create them to die they were going to live forever did you know that these, that you can conclude that these bodies, originally, were, same physical bodies, were made to live forever. When, when we get a hold of that, there's something that touched me when I, when I got a revelation of that. Now, we see the ramifications, though, of what? Sin. The ravages of sin. You know, before the flood, it was not uncommon for man to live six, seven, eight, nine hundred, in fact, nine hundred and sixty nine is the record right in this life that's a long time to live. I mean, those guys were having babies at six hundred years old. I mean to me it's really hard. I mean you might yeah <laughs> you, you know how many kids you could have by that time that's a great way to populate the earth, I guess but and you, and do you, want, you ever wonder, you know, why? First of all, you know, death had already entered into the world at, by that time. You I mean because of sin, and yet they still lived up until the time of the flood, and even shortly thereafter, they were living to, you know, six, seven hundred years old. You know, but it's interesting because of, you know, God saw. I mean, the whole reason the flood was what God saw the wickedness on the earth and their continual attitude was always to do evil, right? And I think that God has actually spared us, in a sense, to living 600 years in this earth because He knows the propensity of man (laughs) to to fail in the sin, right? And I I think there's part of that. But it's interesting, you know, um, you know, I, I believe scientifically, and I'm a scientist, that, you know, during the flood, um, that's where. That's when really when radioactivity started. The, the cataclysmic events, and I'm talking super gigantic cataclysmic things that you, unless you took my science in the Bible class, you probably wouldn't know. Um, that t- transpired during the during that time is when radioactivity started in the Earth. And you know, in Jesus, in God said, you know, man's days will be 120 years, and we think, well. Yeah, he supernaturally did something to cause us, you know, to only give us 120 years. But there, it wasn't a supernatural thing. There was, there was a physical reality as to why that is. And it's because radioactive isotopes came into, the, came into the earth. And if you look at the rise of radioactivity in the earth and man's lifespan, they coincide. I mean, there's this exponential, you know, decay <laughs> of, of life. Um, with the increase of radioactivity. You know, we are bombarded with thousands of isotopes every day. It's in our food chain. It's everywhere. And, you know, we, that's why our lifespan today, God said, well, it's 120 years if we're fortunate. Actually, there's a couple scriptures that suggest that 70 is a full lifespan for, for a, a person. And it's largely, it's not, it's sin. Absolutely. I mean, even the flood is a result of sin. It's a result of wickedness. I mean, what we see today—the mountain ranges and everything we see today—are really a direct, direct relation, or direct result of sin. <laughs> it's hard to think about that because of the beauty of them. It just shows that how God can bring beauty from ashes, literally. But I just want to point out that you know, our our bodies are wasting away. But you know, while we are here, I mean, the Lord says, um, "Where is it? Is it in, in Isaiah?" that are, you know what, I, I want to read it. It's in Psalm, never mind. It's in Psalm uh, 103. I want to read this. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. That's a promise, okay? That's awesome. Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, and, listen to this, satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. You know, Moses was, you know, if you think of a person in the Bible who might have had the closest relationship with God, you you would probably put Moses up on that list, right? I mean, he he was called a friend of God. You know, he lived what? 120 years, right? You know that He was as strong when he died as he was when he was, you know, 40 years old, 30 years old. His eyesight did not dim. And he, you know, he lived out his his full, he's a one who lived out the full years that God had ordained after the flood. He said 120 years should be your time. And he did not lose any of his strength. I think he's a type, a type of the fullness that God would want for us here on the earth. Now there's a lot. I mean, let God be you know truthful, like Rick's always says, and every man a liar, right? Out of Romans, but um, I just think that there's there's life that God wants to renew to us, and if we begin to understand and take this whole idea of healing, that healing is for us, that Jesus wants us well, He really does. He's for us, and He's rooting us on, and we just need to flip the switch. We need to see and start believing, and not looking to the things of this world, and looking at the wisdom of this world, and not start looking at the doubts, and the things that come, but if we can get our face in this word, and start believing it, it's going to change us, it's going to change how we think, it's going to change our beliefs, it's going to change how we start understanding the things of God. Okay, well, I will close. Julia, do you have anything you wanted to add, or share, or? A response. Okay, that's what I mean. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I was getting to. <laughs>
1: you know, I, I will share uh, these, you know, a few things that really, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Tom's looking at the clock. The reality is, is that we make healing complex. Yeah. It, it, what he's presented to us is simple. You know, I, I heard him say things about where are we in our faith or are we doubting you know, that maybe some of us are in that position that we need to address that. Maybe we're in a place that um, we're either, you know, we believe here and we know here and it's hard to get this gap closed. But he said, as a man thinks in his heart, you know, are we, are we standing in a position? Tom, this has transformed Tom's life. There's some things as elders that we've been discussing. And he said the other day, he said, well, so are we believing for this or not? It wasn't even healing, you know. He said, you know, are we believing for it or not? Like, what, what's going on in here that we're expecting to happen out there? Well, you know, Jesus. You no, know, Jesus is right here. You know, Brandon uh, Simonis took a, a real courageous step on, on Friday night, and he stood before all those men at the encounter. And I could tell, and I, you know, he, he was struggling. And he finally he said, I, I've never had to give a word like this. And, of course, you know, when you hear someone say that, you're like, Uh uh, you know, that was what Brandon Brinkley used to say to me before he would prophesy that a woman was going to have children, and she had been told by medical professionals that she wouldn't. And I don't know that Brandon Brinkley ever prophesied over a woman that she was going to have children when she was told that she couldn't have children, that God didn't turn that around. I mean, there was a day in this service that there were people sitting right here, and and Brandon wanted to stand right here and shout it. And the Lord said, no, you go and you share with that, with that family. And, and I, don't, I don't, it was days. It wasn't, it wasn't weeks. It was days. And that family testified. Brandon stood before the body of men and, and just trembling. He said, there's a man in here who wants to be a dad, but has been told medically that he can't have children. And, and I'm telling you, uh, there's a there is uh, may at least one man that's at that encounter that's been told. I I don't know a, of him personally, but he came and found Brandon, and you know what he said? The the reality was Brandon gave the gave the word, but the man made a decision that he was going to cross that line and say, I, I'm going to believe. I get to believe. Mm-hmm. I get to. There was so, And I think it was Brandon's faith united with his faith that reaching out to the hem of the garment, he said, God can turn this around. It's not about my deserving. It's not about my consequence. It's about Jesus Christ, the power of Christ. This other young man, he, he was standing there, and he, I don't remember all the details, but when it got to me, he said, well, I just, but I have not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, turn around. He turned around. And I said, you see these five feet from where you were standing and where you are now? And he said, yes. I said, that's because I caught you before you got baptized with the rug burn, you know, on your forehead hit, hitting the ground. Now, maybe I shouldn't have caught you, but the reality was in his earnest, he came forward and said, I, I want what, all that God has for me. This other point that Tom made is he, he his water pot was broken and it was empty. And it was his. And the Lord was trying to give this man the Lord's water pot that doesn't crack, that's never empty. And when I said to that man, I said, you, but you, this is evidence you were baptized. But I'm telling you what, he came undone. Yeah. He laid in the floor. His mouth opened up. I The Lord empowered, people around him fell on the floor. He was captured by the presence of God. And no one can take that from him. You know, that we're in a place that maybe it's, maybe we're in a place that we fear. You know, that can come against our hope. You know, that that can prevent us from appropriating I'm I'm and I'm telling the easiest thing for me to do is say that for any of us, maybe we need to just stand and, and repent for whatever our situation is that has kept us from standing in that place. Maybe, maybe it's fear, maybe everything in his says, I want to do this, but like Brandon, Brandon said, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this risk. And I believe that with with Brandon's the faith that he exercised. Because that's what it says. It says exercise. You know, I tell people all the time. I did not get this beautiful body going through the drive-through at McDonald's. Maybe twenty-five drive. Maybe (laughs) fifty drive-throughs at McDonald's. It's not going to change by by one drive-through at the rec center. You chuckle. That's true. Our faith is to be exercised.
0: That's right. That's good, too. So if
1: Ingrid says, you know, would you stand with me and and believe for my healing? That's an exercise. I get to do it every day. Lord, today I'm believing. Today, you're the healer and you're going to touch Ingrid. You're going to manifest yourself unto her. And if I get to stand with her tomorrow and say the same thing, I'm going to continue to exercise. I'm going to continue to exercise. I'm going to make a choice to exercise. I'm not going to see with, with my eyes till I'm in a place I'm, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to, I'm going to believe in the manifestation of your spirit. And so, like I said, I think some people that you're in a place that I need to be healed. <laughs> I have a, something physical. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the Lord's capturing my heart, and I'm believing for that to happen. Some Amen. of us are in a place of we need yeah. to repent where we've gone astray and allow Him to dust off the junk so that we can walk in the fullness and the goodness. Some of us just need to be rejuvenated. Say, I just yeah. got tired, and I sat down. You know, when you sit down in the and road, first, yep. sometimes you just need hands say, get up, come on, we can do this. Sometimes we're all concerned about the person next to us moving forward. You know what? There's no one else on your road but you. It's your road. (laughs) So whether you've sat down, whether you've moved off, whether you're standing still, maybe you turned around. I don't know. But it's your road. Today's your day. Today's your day. Amen. Amen.